And hello, everyone. Looky, looky, look who's here. It's the top men. Uh, I am Elliot Serrano, joined by John Clark, Dave Pino, and Thomas Jetner. Welcome to this Memorial Day edition of Top Men, an Indiana Jones podcast where we're talking about the Indiana Jones movies, beginning with Raiders of the Lost Ark, concluding with Dial of Destiny, which it's my understanding that's it. Indiana Jones disappears at that point. He no longer exists. Poof. Gone. From what I understand. Is that what you've heard, John? Yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford is telling people in no uncertain terms that he is done. And uh, from the judgment, judging at can, it sounds like everyone else will be done. Uh, <laughs> and that's the thing I don't get about can uh, is every film I'm reading, they're timing the standing ovations. They're like, oh, Indiana Jones is out of destiny. It only got a five minute standing ovation at can. Like, I remember when standing ovation was the A plus of audience response. You know, it sounds like a standing ovation like three. <laughs> Sounds like this one got like an obligatory one, not one that it it actually earned. Yeah, I guess the standing ovation in Candy must be like clapping for every kid at a graduation. Like, I don't know that kid. That kid, that kid was mean to my kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, and of course the uh, interwebs are all full of everyone's hot takes about a movie that hasn't even been released yet. Uh, I I was scrolling through YouTube. To look at some of my regular uh, subscriptions, I saw one YouTube video that said Indiana Jones 5 is, is the nail in Lucasfilm's coffin, the final nail in Lucasfilm's coffin. I'm like, what? And and I would say, oh, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to ignore it. Yet that video already ranked up 1.9 million views. Yeah, good? that's that's all right. I, I saw a uh, I saw a YouTube video today that says why all the guitars you think are good are bad. That it's a formula on YouTube to go things are bad. Click here. That and having a YouTube host going like this. <laughs> That's the thumbnail on every review on everything. I want to do uh, uh, I want to do some reaction videos on all the reaction videos. So that's what probably what we'll be doing next. Uh, you know, just. The reactions to all the other reactions, again, for a movie that has not been released yet. Well, anyway, uh, welcome everyone who's watching live on our Facebook page. Thank you. Hello, Ash Williams, Joe Biden. Yes, the, our theme couldn't get some more cowbell. John, add more cowbell to the theme. Susan, thank you so much for tuning in as you do every, as you do each and every week, whether it's for Top Men or the MCU Review. We appreciate that. Thank you to everyone who's watching us on YouTube, Facebook, and uh, um, Twitch TV. <laughs> uh, this is uh, well, the, the, let's throw a hot take in here real quick, just since we're here. Um, yes, ND Five rips off Futurama. He is his own grandfather. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, but uh, yes, we're here to talk about today to talk about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which uh, for many people it was the last Indiana Jones movie. It was like that was it. That's when the franchise ended for them. Um, they did it, you know. After that, no other indie movies occurred, which I find hilarious. 
Although, you know, I kind of relate on a certain level because for me, the Alien franchise ended after Aliens. You know, the Terminator franchise ended after two. After Terminator 2. Yeah. So as you just had like maybe two, three movies tops, and then bam, you know, that's it for the franchise. And they did nothing else really occurred after that. Uh, but today we will be talking about Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Uh, for those who've never watched our shows before, whether it is Top Men or the MCU Review, what we do is we talk about a film <clears throat> that has come out in the past. And uh, in many cases, we will re-watch the movie to compare how the most recent watching of the film does in relation to the first time we saw the film. And uh, if not that, at least give our own recollections of what the film meant to us uh, when we first saw it. And uh, we've been doing this with the, uh, we started doing this with the James Bond films. And I've got to say that doing Shaken Not Heard with Dave Pino down there um, really g gave me a sense of perspective because I see a lot of the criticisms that have been made of the Indiana Jones films. I saw a level that uh, many of the Bond films too. So that, uh, and I think when you really look at franchises in general, there aren't that many really franchise series films going today. I'm, I'm right now, I'm, what's going now? So, uh, the, John, the John Wick movies, right? That would be the next one up. That's happening. For, they they keep trying to start other ones, other ones. Um, the Born Identity movies only could go so far. Um, uh, but we'll also discuss what's been going on. Why we've only gotten what uh, five Indiana Jones films in how many years? Forty. Forty years. Yeah, Forty years. Yeah. We've gotten ten Fast and the Furious movies in half that time. So my question is. Would you want 10 Indiana Jones movies if they were of the same level of quality as a, as the Fast and Furious films? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, I feel like Furious Furious 90s output was the quality of the Fast and Furious films. <laughs> every movie where he tried to get back his family, you, you could switch him out for Vin Diesel in those. <laughs> Vin Diesel needs his family back. I fine, it makes just as much money. Yeah, so uh, we'll talk about that. Okay, so let us kick off with what we call um, our two-minute indie movie review, where each of our panelists here will give a two-minute summary of what they felt about the topic of the evening. Uh, again, you don't have to give us an entire rundown of the movie. Just <laughs> what did you think about it? What did you so it's clear. About? Yes, yes. Uh, what did you think about it, and what did you feel? And, of course, if you're watching here on the live stream, feel free to chime in with your own per, uh, perspective. We read all comments. Um, and if you're watching this as part of a uh, rebroadcast on our archive page or as part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, uh, you can always let us know on our respective Facebook pages what you thought. Okay, let's uh, lead off with you, Dave. All right. I um, This is my favorite indie movie. Um, I think, uh, I don't want to, I'm probably repeating myself. Tom and I, I think, have the, the same view on this, that Raiders is probably the best, but this is my favorite. Just like how 
Sean Connery is the best James Bond, but he's not my favorite. Like I can acknowledge when something is the best, almost objectively the best, but not my personal favorite. So um, yeah, this is this is such a fun movie. I think it strikes that sweet spot between sort of uh, you know it's it's a light breezy action adventure without getting into like silly territory. There are silly moments, but good silly, not like roll your eyes at those moments type silly. Um, and of course I have to say the presence of Sean Connery gives this movie a very unfair, uh, advantage over, over the other four films in the series. So having James Bond be the father of Indiana Jones character that was very obviously inspired by James Bond, um, was some of the most perfect casting uh, of all time. Uh, and there's, this is, as we talked about Elliot in the past, there's a lot of Bond influence in the the whole franchise but it's, i think it's especially felt in this one uh there are a lot of bond actors in this film um connery being the obvious one allison duty had a small part uh, almost a blink and you miss it part in a view to a kill uh, 1985 uh john reese davies of course was in uh, the living daylights as pushkin um julian glover was the villain christatos in for your eyes only so a lot of um uh, 1980s Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton era Bond actors in, in, in these films, but especially in this movie. And of course, the, we talked about the boat chase feels straight out of From Russia with Love. Um, just, you know, a lot of really inventive action sequences. I love the whole flashback sequence in the beginning where you see kind of how Indy becomes Indy. You know, the scar on his chin and how he kind of adopts the look and gets the whip and all that. I feel like a lot of movies nowadays... Um, tend to do that kind of stuff, but it's a lot more heavy handed and almost um, they take it too seriously where this is just like, okay, we're going to show you right in the beginning in a few minutes, kind of the origin of Indiana Jones and just, you know, jump right into the present um, and not have that be the focal point of the whole movie. Just sort of like a little nice, nice, nice little Easter egg for the fans. Um, so yeah, this is, this is my favorite of the whole series. Uh, and based on what I've heard about Dial of Destiny, I don't think that's going to change after next next month <laughs> don't listen to the french dave don't they <laughs> they, they have their issues All right <laughs> tom uh well Ed, dave stole a lot of my thunder there uh, same kind of same deal um i think there might be a there might be a generational thing of like when you were able to watch this movie on tv because this is also it's i recognize that raiders is the best but this is my favorite and something that this movie gets a lot of father son dynamic really well that um, other movies kind of miss in the sense that they're the same person, but not the same person or how else to explain. It? There's a lot that they have in common, but they're very clearly different. Um, and that, um, love and warmth but also tension uh because of years of his, uh, the conversations that they had the conversation that they have on the blimp is just you know it's very relatable in terms of trying to uh connect with a parent and thinking well what are we going to talk about i don't know what we're, we we don't i don't think i can't think of anything uh so that's all great i think this is might it might be John Williams' best work in the series. Um, I love that they have the the Nazis have their own theme. 
Uh, it's almost like an imperial march type of thing where it's uh, it's villainous, but also stupid <laughs> and pompous. Um, the way fascists are stupid and pompous. Um, and the 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 Grail theme, or, or I guess I could, should call it the Crusader theme, is is one of my favorites. Uh, uh, some, something about that. Uh, I actually took a course uh, on the Crusades when I was in college, and so I'm kind of like focused on on that a little bit. Uh, the rewatch, kind of watching it a second time with a with a closer eye on that. Um, for the record, the Crusades were awful. Uh, they seem to have gotten these knights, these three brothers, on the first crusade, but before they got to Jerusalem, which is emphatically a good thing for their conscience, for their souls. Um, and it also goes hand in hand with uh, that was very much the 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 early twelfth century was kind of this the height of uh, romantic myths about chivalry and. And the quest for the Holy Grail and things like that through the Arthurian legend. That was the kind of the, the golden age of troubadours. So kind of framing this as as like um, of, of the story of like knights and things like that, uh, or a knight errant makes a lot of sense. And I thought that was a that was a great um, that was a great angle to take. Little details like um, if you haven't if you caught the the bringing of the four columns back to Venice from Byzantium. That's a direct reference to the fourth crusade where the crusaders were supposed to go off and uh, take the city of Damietta in Egypt, but uh, decided to waylay in Venice and just uh, at waylay in from Venice to Constantinople, which was a Christian city at the time and just sack it and loot it and effectively kill the last remnant of the Roman Empire. Um, so one of the more terrible events in human history is noted mildly uh, in this movie. So there's there's a lot of history in this. I, I'm going to get into it in more detail when we get to the drink of the, the evening, but uh, there's a lot of interesting history. Uh, I think the knight is a great character when we finally get to the end of the movie. That's a great insertion at the end. Uh, Julian Glover is just great, slimy, very much kind of the quasi-Nazi sympathizer you did get in America in the late 1930s. That's a very appropriate character. Um, if you do a little bit of digging into the history of American politics and the America First movement uh, in the late 1930s and early 1940s. So uh, it's great. It's a great movie. There's a lot of the the details are on point. Um, also, I want to give a particularly bit of love to Indy being a life scout at the time when it was done, uh, down to having the right mer the right uh, rank insignia on his chest. So great little detail there. Uh, and that I'm going to go on and on about this movie, but that, I'm going to stop right there. All right, and then uh, John. Yeah, this movie's all about course correction. Um, as we were talking about with Temple of Doom, it had gotten very dark and it had caused uh, the MPAA to re review how movies were rated. It was so dark. And I, there uh, there seems to be uh, trying to swing it in the other direction and break down what was the formula of Raiders and how did that work. And you can see the formula 
being laid out. Uh, the form of the Raiders being laid out here, but at every step, making it lighter, making it more fun. You know, you have uh, the the cold open is young Indy instead of Indy on a separate adventure. You have the um, the double MacGuffin, which Raiders does so well. The first hour, everyone's trying to get this headpiece of the Wrath of Staffara. Once you have that, it unlocks where to get the Ark. Now everybody wants the Ark. This movie, you have the diary. The Grail diary is the MacGuffin. And that leads you to get the grail. It has that same kind of one hour, two hour, but at every moment, like let's make it lighter. I mean, let's make it more fun. So it is, which is why it's my second favorite, because I think it becomes so light that I, the stakes feel lower. And I was listening to an interview with Steven Spielberg uh, talking about his work. And he said, um, he said, all of my great works come out of fear. He's like, all my great movies, I was completely stressed out and neurotic, and I thought it wouldn't work. He goes, and that's why none of my sequels are as good. (laughs) Because because as I made those, I go, well, this will do well. (laughs) So he he wouldn't stress as much on it. And you can feel that in this movie. This is a movie that was made for the fun of it. Uh, And it is really fun, and there's some great classic moments, and it's my second favorite of the five. the interesting thing, going back to when it came out, it had been five years since Temple of Doom, and that seems ludicrously short compared to what the franchise would do later. But I remember when that film came out, it was like, it, there was this feeling of like, oh my God, Indiana Jones still exists because I was in such a different part. And screw you, Tom, for telling me, for saying, how young were you when you first saw this on television? I saw this with girls. <laughs> I saw this... <laughs> After finals, <laughs> twice. That's how old I am. <laughs> was it at least a date? Do you have the dignity of a? No, it was like date? all the guys and all the girls going and you scared oh, of the girl okay. you and nobody did anything about it. We were that. Young. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, but I remember so, feeling you know twenty six. Yeah, I remember feeling in the, in this movie. I was like, wow, I'm in a different part of my life than I was when I had seen Raiders, and so was Indy. And looking ahead, it's like, like, oh, God, the next two movies are going to be in a completely different time in my life. It's funny that um, as I was watching this one, and it's very much, I mean, let's be honest, uh, uh, the theme, and Spielberg himself has said it, it's not Indy looking for the Holy Grail, it's Indy looking for his father. He's trying to get his father back. It, the, the, the thing, the nut that they had to crack on this to break the story for Indy three for the longest time was one, where was Indy's motivation? And two, where did you come up? How do you come up with a nice opening sequence? All of the bond films where it was something that really related to the movie that helped advance the story forward. And for the longest time, they couldn't, they couldn't break that part of the story. um, uh, uh, You, if you look at the credits to the film, um, the story credit goes to George Lucas and Menno Mayes, 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 Menno Mayes, who is actually credited for coming up with the opening young Indiana Jones sequence. Hmm. They were the one who said, hey, why don't we do this whole bit where, you know, we see Indy on his first adventure and where we introduce all these different. I didn't realize that because I, I remember that the screenplay was written by Jeffrey Bohm and yes. Jeffrey Bohm went on to create the adventures of Briscoe County. Briscoe oh, I always Jr. thought Young Indy was was his, that kind of Western, really light, really bouncy feel. You would also do the fan- not him. Yeah. 
um, before he passed away too, he would uh, go on to do the the Phantom and you in, incorporate a lot of different elements there too. But yeah, but um, yeah, Jeffrey Bohm would do the screenplay and yeah, go on to yes, uh, the Adventures of Briscoe County Junior with Carlton Coos, who, yep. if you ask me, is the one who really made the first uh, season of Jack Ryan work. Well, he also made Lost work. He made Lost work too, right? Yeah, it was. It was, when you see Damon Lindelof's other work, you see oh. Carton Cuse was hired to sit on this young kid. Yeah. Because okay. Carton Cuse has that kind of like old Hollywood. This is the structure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the movie really was about uh, Indy finding his father, which is a theme that, of course, Spielberg would talk about in uh, in making the film because he was always coming up with ways of reconciling with his father. And his, and his other films. He's saying now that he's made The Favormans. He's realizing how much it's about lost fathers. Yep. You know, E.T., the dad is gone. You know, Close Encounters, the Richard Dreyfus leaves his family. Yep. You know, it's always that certain, it's always about absent fathers. And in fact, Lucas didn't like the father angle. Lucas liked the Holy Grail, but he didn't, he thought the father angle was going to be cheesy. And that's the whole heart of the film. He also didn't like the joke about um, she talks in her sleep. <laughs> Which apparently they came up with on the set. <laughs> and when Lucas heard it later, not happy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's, uh, so yeah. But I would uh, echo what uh, what you guys have said. And yes, Last Crusade, not my favorite. Of course, Raiders will always be my favorite. But I do rank I, I rank the, the indie movies in the order that they were released. I, I, I love Temple of Doom more and more every time I see it. Oh, and you like it more than this. Yeah. And then, right. and then um, with Last Crusade, see, to me, I remember when I saw Last Crusade in the theater for the first time, it, it, the movie hinges on the relationship between Indy and Henry, between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. There is so much mugging for the camera that Harrison mm -hmm. Ford does doing little reaction shots playing off of Sean Connery. It's it's all that. If that doesn't work, the movie doesn't work. And luckily, it does work. It also helps, as we are discovering more and more now, Harrison Ford's a very t talented comedic actor. So he's really good at, you know, setting up a joke, playing it. Well, he's a great straight man. I mean, yeah. you, Empire Strikes Back is all reaction takes. Yes. And let's so, not forget, Sean Connery turned down Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, to make this. So whatever his capacities were at the end of his life, he was dead on in 1989. <laughs> William Shatner named the planet Shakari to try to get him to take it. And he, and he still was like, nope. Well, just to, to ape a line from the movie, he chose wisely. <laughs> now... Before we get too much more into our movie talk, why don't we talk a little bit about our feature drink created by our own Thomas Jetner, the drink that he created for this particular film. Let me hit this here. If you're watching us on the live stream, you can see the image I'm going to put up right now. If you are watching, if you're listening to the show on as part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, uh, you can always check out Review Cocktails. That's R-E-V-U Cocktails. 
to see all the themed cocktails that our own Thomas Jetner creates for our discussions. Tom, tell us about uh, today's Last Crusade themed drink. Well, uh, I really like the idea of centering this on Venice. See, kind of uh, where we've kind of first begin our the the real adventure part of the movie, and there are so many uh, great uh, aperitifs and cocktails that come out of Venice. So, most famous of which is the Aperol Spritz. So that kind of sounded like a good seemed to me to be a good place to start. It's it's light. It's um, it's something you have uh, at the beginning of the meal, and Venice is where we kind of is our kind of uh, beginning portion of the movie. So I thought that was a good place to start, and I think we've established that Indy's favorite spirit is whiskey. So I kind of went in the direction of going with a Boulevardier. A Boulevardier is a, is a, is one of the many riffs off of the Negroni, where instead of gin, you use bourbon or rye whiskey. And I tweaked that by going with uh, Aperol. And I think Aperol, um, Aperol is the uh, main ingredient in the spritz, which is was made famous by Venice. Uh, it's also sweeter than Campari. So I had to switch from sweet vermouth to dry vermouth. And I thought that worked out pretty well. Now, since this is a riff I'm on a Boulevardier, there's no boulevards in Venice. It's all canals. So... You could call this a gondolier. That would be one way to put this. But in naming this, when we first meet Elsa, when um, or Ilsa, Ilsa when uh, Indy first arrives in Venice, they walk over a bridge on the way to the library that used to be a church, and that isn't any old bridge. You can see how it's uh, not very wide, and it's. Uh, not very long, and it looks like any other bridges in Venice. But that is the Ponte dei Pugni, or the also known as the Bridge of San Barnaba. And that was one of the famous locations for um, what were called the Battagliole, which were these massive organized fistfights that the working class of Venice would put on for their own amusement. Uh, during the early modern period with hundreds, if not thousands of individual fighters and set portions, uh, individual one-on-one -on -one, uh, boxing matches, uh, uh, almost rugby-like scrums, and then all-out free-for-alls with dozens of men punching each other for control of a bridge. Uh, it's a, just a fascinating little part of uh, Venetian history, and they happen to be walking right over it, which I, I thought perfect. That was one of my favorite things I found about uh, all bare knuckle uh, boxing. And uh, occasionally they wore a little bit of a cardboard breastplate. And all of these guys had these really crazy names like. There was one guy called uh, Mangetesta, or the Eater of Heads. Uh, there was another guy uh, called uh, Matagate, which was Cat Killer. And uh, my favorite name, which was when I named this drink, is I called it the Stramatel, which in the Venetian dialect means completely crazy. So this is my ode to a long-dead uh, Venetian bridge fighter. Uh, who uh, Indy and company walked 
over his palace uh, on the way to the knight's tomb. So that's the deal with that. And I believe I have a, on the second photo on this uh, image, I actually have a picture of a painting that was taken to give you a sense. That's the bridge that Indy and Elsa are walking over. That's the bridge of San Barnaba in Venice. So folks, you don't just get a drink, you get a history lesson, just so you know. <laughs> but of course, all that matters is how does it taste? And I think Dave is drinking it. So Dave, how does it taste? You're, Dave's on mute. It tastes so it tastes it tastes muted. Yeah, it's a muted flavor. Um, I love that the amber hue to the drink. Um, it's really good, uh, the, and of course, it helps that I'm a big fan of all the ingredients you chose for this one. So, um, another winner here. Am I the only one drinking this? By the way, you are, Dave, because hey, I wasn't able I'm to guess this. Yeah. Uh, I am. I'm not drinking at all right now because I'm still uh, uh, recovering from a stomach virus right now. So I haven't been able to touch any booze, if you can believe that. Well, Aperol is supposed to help with that. <laughs> I, on the other hand, have blended a lot of Jewel Pina Colada mix <laughs> with way too much Captain Morgan. <laughs> Although, if anybody asks, it's a Slurpee. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for creating that. Again, everyone, if you want to uh, see the recipe for the drink, uh, we're calling it the Ah Venice. Is that is that what we're calling it? No, I'm calling it the Stramato. After, the Stramato. Uh, yeah, okay. the Stramato. After, uh, uh, the, uh, you can find that on Review Cocktails. That's R-E-V-U Cocktails on Instagram, where you'll see all the drinks that Tom has created, not only for the Indiana Jones films, but also for the MCU Review, the sister show to this particular series, all part of Caffeinated Comics on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. All right. Well, let's go in a little deeper now. Well, let's throw this out to the, to, the, to the panel. I'll start with you, Dave. All right. So... Is this the end of the series? I mean, is this really, would you say, the end of Indiana Jones's arc that, uh, I mean, we will talk about the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and we're definitely going to see Dial of Destiny, but was this really where it should have ended? Um, well, this seems to be the last movie that is universally enjoyed, I'll say that. Um, I wanted to say no, but then at the same time, you know, we just had this disaster of a trilogy of Star Wars films from Disney. So it's like, well, yeah, to me, you know, the Star Wars saga, the Skywalker saga ends with Return of the Jedi. And there's no reason to continue after that. So, yeah, if you want in your headcanon, if you say, you know, I mean, let's face it, this movie literally ends with the characters riding off into the sunset, which is like the, the prototypical happy ending, right? So... Yeah, if, if you prefer to think that this was the last film of the saga and just ignore... And I'm saying this as someone who kind of likes Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Um, then, then yeah, why not? <laughs> Can't say definitively, but I I get the, the argument for wanting to feel that way. What do you think, John? 
Uh, no, no. I mean, you can not like the fourth one, but it exists. I think it, um, the problem with Indiana Jones, and I think we, we've said this before, is that there's too many years in between where I, where we have to make it in, in this overall story. And it isn't, it is Bond. You know, it, it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be modeled on Bond and it was supposed to be a movie every couple of years. And we said this multiple times. Um, with, if we had gotten Indiana Jones movies every two to three years, we would be talking about them differently. We might not have even wanted Dial of Destiny because we may have moved on from it because we might have been satisfied. And at the end of the third film, when I saw it originally in 1989, I wasn't satisfied. I was like, wait, is that going to be it? Because I, I thought we were going to get more than three of these things. Um, so right now, by saying it ends here, you're just ignoring one movie because the jury's well, the jury can is not out, but the jury's out on Dial of Destiny. Uh, and I think these are all one-offs. You know, you can invent fan fiction that has a character arc throughout, but they weren't even designed to be that way. They, I don't think even Lucas and Spielberg sat down and said, okay, so where is Indiana's life? How is what happened to him before affecting him? He's the same character in every movie, and the tone of each movie shifts it a little bit. He's a little bit darker in... Temple of Doom, and he's a little bit lighter in this. But I don't think it was ever designed to be a trilogy. As, as Spielberg said, he said, Lucas said he had ideas for three movies. He didn't. <laughs> he had ideas for the character. And when the third one ended, it wasn't like, well, that was a great tr trilogy. It didn't tie anything up. All we really got was we resolved the artifact of the movie, and we resolved Indy's relationship with his father, which was introduced in that movie. We don't we don't tie off anything that was lingering from the character from the other two movies. So you can talk about how much you don't like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as much as you want, but I don't believe that Indiana Jones ended in 1989. Tom, I'm gonna agree with John. Um, this doesn't seem to be necessarily the end the end of the line, and I don't think it was ever intended to be necessarily the end of the line. I think it just happened to work out that way that, that we weren't going to see Indy again until kingdom of the crystal skull. I think it was just the circumstance. Harrison Ford went off and did other projects. Steven Spielberg went off and did other projects and just kind of fell by the wayside. Um, it, they are all one-off movies to some extent or another. And it's just a question of the timing. You could have done a movie with Harrison Ford and like, 1994, 1995, someone could have wrote that script uh, and made a good indie movie um, at that time based off of some other artifact or, or in some other context. I think as he gets older and you get into the, the post-World War II era, you get into the post-colonial era, um, it gets a little trickier to write, but not impossible. You know, as much as, you know, we've, tended to rag on crystal skull um at least wasn't an idea a germ of a plot that that could have gone somewhere even if the execution wasn't great i think where you run into maybe problems is if you wait too long maybe you run into difficulties with with any other uh sequel series and we mentioned the fast and furious movies do they keep trying to one up it does it keep trying to one up itself over and over does it fall victim to some of the same problems that other franchises have 
Maybe we'll never know, but you could have done it. You certainly could have done a good, at least one, at least one more good movie between now and when, when Harrison Ford is in his eighties. So yeah, I'm going to agree with John. I think this is not necessarily, was not necessarily the end. I can't help but think, I mean, cause if, if Indy was supposed to be bond, you know, bond, I mean, Sean Connery eventually gave, gave the role over to another actor and hence that tradition started. Um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, Lucas was hoping at some point that they could go on from Harrison Ford, you know, yes, the irony being that Lucas didn't even want Harrison Ford for this role. You know, we know we've discussed this back when we talked about Raiders. It was supposed to be Tom Selleck. It was supposed to be cast as, as Indiana Jones. If Indy was supposed to be an American Bond and everyone has been trying to create the American version of James Bond time and time and time again, the closest we've come to that is Batman. Yeah, um, and I, I know we've had this argument on Caffeinated Comics, but uh, but Indiana Jones was invented in this genre. He was invented as Harrison Ford. Both Bond and Batman are adaptations from print. So no matter who you put in that role, they're always going to be an adaptation of the source material. With Indiana Jones, the movies are the source material. And I think it's much harder to do. Uh, it's not impossible because a Star Trek has given us three Mr. Spocks. And they've all been pretty good. But I think it's just, it's so much bigger a feat to put somebody else in, in those shoes when one person has created that character. And Kathleen Kennedy has gone on record now saying that Indiana Jones is... You know, it's Harrison Ford, and that's it. No, there will be no more big screen indie without Harrison Ford. So I don't believe that. <laughs> well, yeah, technically, past Disney at this point. Te yeah. Technically, no, we do not. have we do have big screen indie that's not Harrison Ford, and it's River Phoenix. And if River Phoenix doesn't pass away in 1993, um, tragically, do they make a Indiana Jones in? 1918 1920 with river phoenix and say 1995 1996 is well, that, that was one? indiana jones young indiana jones series. that was the young indiana jones series phoenix was too much of a movie star to to go and do i think it was it was kind of a backdoor pilot at the beginning of last crusade yeah uh, uh you know and lucas's whole idea of that these would be history lessons uh as a television series I'm I don't, but I, I don't see River Phoenix becoming Indiana Jones. I feel like River Phoenix in this, the reason he's here is because he played Harrison Ford's son in the Mosquito Coast the year before and knew his mannerisms inside and out. And he was a strong, young, upcoming actor, you know, from the late 80s, just the same way as a Keanu Reeves or Johnny Depp. So he was personal. Why he has Kurt Cobain's hair in 1917. <laughs> I will never come to a resolution about it. If you read the uh, if you read the novelization of Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, you know that um, that Indy is living on an Indian reservation. He and his father ah. on an Indian reservation. And I always thought of oh, uh, Indy in just being part of the group. You know that's why he had the also uh, did all the things that would make his father. That's why he dyed his hair blonde. Yeah, did all the things that would make his father crazy, right? He's a, Indy was all the things that his father didn't care for. 
Legit question as to how Henry Sr. got a handle on all of those manuscripts on in, on, in the middle of nowhere in Utah in 1911. Oh, I always <laughs> figured Utah was a stopping point for them. He spent his whole life studying the Grail. And there was probably some shitty college in Utah that he was <laughs> Probably beg, borrowing, and stealing to get your hands on those manuscripts. Manuscripts are not easy to come by. I mean, unless um, unless you happen to be in Chicago and you can have to have a driver's license with an Illinois residency, and then you could go to the Newberry Library and read them for free. Well, that, that's, that's what a young Indy would do when he'd go to college at the University of Chicago, right? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. Indy, well, Indy seems uninterested necessarily in medieval literature, uh, certainly not to the extent that Henry is interested in medieval <laughs> literature. But the, uh, is, yeah, that... Um, I mean, we can talk about that whole sequence of how it, it's not just a great action sequence, but it sets up the father-son dynamic right away. Indy comes in bursting, excited. He's got this, he's got the treasure. He just really wants to show it to his father. And he's just like, okay, I'm working, count to 10. And then he's, you know, so he does that little mumbling thing. And then it's like, in Greek. And it's like, okay, so he's that kind of dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not only not yeah. only going to tell him to count to ten. When this came out, everybody turned to him, which which made me happy because I already thought I was Indiana Jones. So finding out that his dad was my dad just underscored it. My dad ha owns that hat. His beard was that gray. He was he was a very fucking <laughs> uh, history teacher for thirty five years. Uh, for now he's a Florida resident that listens to Fox News, but <laughs> I don't know where that transition happened. <laughs> But uh, he was very professorial in, in that way. And that was one of the things I loved about this movie. And in fact, he's quoted that movie to me. He's, he, said, he said his favorite line in that movie is, you left just as you were becoming interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so that resonated to him. My, my, my favorite story about my dad, he's, you know, he, all he reads is history and philosophy. And uh, one time he was introducing me to one of the other teachers in his school. And I was an adult at this point. And he said, well, this is my son. Jonathan and uh, and the teacher went, oh, oh, is he as big a reader as you, Jerry? And my dad went, yes, but of the wrong things. <laughs> oh, oh, whoa. oh, too many Marvel comics for, for Gerald Clark. But that that's why I always identified with this. And the Sean Connery's characterization, um, Dave, I, I want to turn to you for this. Is this the first time, maybe the only time that we see Sean Connery as a character actor? Because he is not playing a leading man in this. He's playing a quirky professor who's who's bumbling, who mugs at the camera. I don't think I've ever seen him this vulnerable. I don't think I've ever seen him this soft, this off the cuff before. He's not the ultra-confident Sean Connery. Even in Time Bandits, he's that ultra-confident Sean Connery. Oh, Dave, you're muted. Sorry, my dog was barking earlier. Um, I think you might be right about that, which is why it makes it even more interesting of a casting one, because again, it's James Bond being the father of Indy, but also because we're not used to seeing him in these types of roles um, where he's not the leading, like you said, not the leading man word. And even later he would go back to, you know, things like entrapment and the Avengers, he would go back to that mold. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. Maybe Spielberg is pulling it out of him. Maybe he wanted to tweak his own image, but this is uh, probably my favorite Sean Connery performance. Bond yeah, he's incredibly likable in this. Yeah. yeah. The we, we, bond is bubbling under the surface, though, too. You yeah. can see it. 
we we ignore all the problematic parts of Sean Connery <laughs> when he comes on screen and and then he just does his thing because yes he he's it's he and Harrison Ford have great chemistry they have great chemistry as father and son they have great chemistry as foils again as a you know even like an Abbott and Costello type thing going back and forth the dialogue in this film is probably some of the snappiest dialogue in an, a Raider in an Indiana Jones film where it's all bing, bang, boom, set up, hit, hit your mark, joke, bam. One thing leads to another, leads to another. So well, even the set pieces, uh, I, I've always loved the way Spielberg builds an action sequence. Um, and you really see it in Tintin. When I saw Tintin, that was a revelation to me. And not enough people have seen that because that was Spielberg making an animated film, but it felt like Indiana Jones. And I was like, oh my God, this is the way he structures uh, his action set pieces is that is that this little thing will lead to this and then there'll be a subplot and he has all these subplots of inanimate objects if you think of the um, perfect example the beginning of Temple of Doom there's all that chaos in Club Obi-Wan but you always know where the diamond is and you always know where the antidote is and you see that in Tinder, and you see that in this just the the scene where they're tied up together you know, when he drops the lighter and he blows on the lighter and that starts the fire and that leads into the fireplace and then the fireplace leads to the secret door which opens into the Nazi. It's like everything builds and builds and builds. And he's building that as if it's as if it's a bit. I mean, even the, the moving fireplace always reminds me of Young Frankenstein. It's that same bit of put the <laughs> candle back. And he's, back. he's playing with those kind of stacking visual bits in this. So Spielberg's doing the comedy as much as the actors are. The 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 and um, talk, we we will go more into Kingdom of the Crystal Skull on our next show, but the uh, the DNA of this film is all over Kingdom. The problem is is that in Kingdom the exposition feels like exposition, unlike in Last Crusade, where again everything just moves things along little bits in here i'm guessing if they maybe if um you know the the screenwriter for kingdom had maybe trimmed maybe 20 30 lines here and there you know could have moved along a lot quicker uh, there's an interesting this, yeah there's an interesting detail in the exposition where we get that in in that first scene with donovan where he's kidnapped to a fancy black tie party um and and filling in little character details in that i've always loved the part where is we're getting all this information about the tablet and then there's the book on the on the thing and then donovan gets pulled away for a second and he comes back to indy and he takes his sticks his finger into the glass of champagne and uses it to try to wipe a little bit of dust or debris uh off of the piece of sandstone which you know modern historians or, or archaeologists would look at that and, and just cry out in terror of like what are you doing putting wine on that thing but what it what it's communicating to the audience is he doesn't care about drinking the fancy champagne for him the champagne is just a way to get a closer look at the tablet so he can read the latin text so that's just a great little detail where they're able to tell you bits about character in the middle of giving you you know the exposition yeah it's the, just like the auditorium scene in raiders again it's matching that formula of you know you're getting as much uh, Brody and Indy and the two uh, G-Men uh, uh, their uh, dispositions as much as you're getting the backstory of the Grail. And that's, that's the way to do position, position the most 
interesting part of the story. It's literally the instruction manual to your plot. So the easier you the easier you can layer it in something else, the better. And you and you get a lot of that with character here. And I also like to comment before I forget that this is the first film where Indy actually gets to keep an artifact that he goes after. He loses the idol in Raiders as well as the Ark. Um, he uh, surrenders the Sankara stones back to the village in Temple of Doom. He will he'll lose across the Coronado in the beginning, but then ultimately retrieve it, which really does give this film kind of a, a final chapter sort of feel. Because uh, it's kind of like Spielberg was saying, you know what? This is the last one. We're going to let Indy keep what he went after this time around. Yeah, but not the grail. Yeah. Now that one, uh, I, I will get the key. Oh, you kept it. Yeah, I kept it, you know, because it's... Oh, look. There's my first communion poster. <laughs> Literally, I drew, my first communion banner, I drew the whole... The, the the chalice the way that it was done in last crusade probably one of the best better one of the better prop replicas i have this one yeah that's very yeah. nice really nice one I'm yeah the weatherness of it and you know what to jump ahead um assuming we are jumping ahead to uh that reminds me of the segment are there toys from this there were no toys from this in 1989 they no one even picked up the license no one attempted anything there was a, a feeling of in the summer of 1989 that everyone was trying to kind of get away from Batman. They all knew Batman was going to take over the entire summer and the shelves were going to be filled with it. Um, the, neither Raiders nor the Temple of Doom figures sold very well, so they didn't attempt it. But there was a line in the 2008 line for the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when they went back and did the other films. We talked about Temple of Doom. They did do six figures in that line. And uh, they were very hard to find because at that point the line was already sunsetting. Uh, but this is the perfect time to do this. And I know we pushed this uh, podcast back a few weeks, but Elliot, you're going to want your camera back on because what's ha what I just received this week are the new Indiana Jones adventure series um, from these are Marvel Legends styles. Of course, we talk a lot about Marvel Legends on the MCU review, but they they did the Raiders of the Lost Ark set for a few weeks. Now, these two are one-offs. So first we have Professor Indy, who I am assuming is on Henry Jones Sr.'s body. Uh, they have not announced a Henry Jones Sr., but why wouldn't you? And he's holding the Grail Diary in the mailing package, which for this scale is pretty impressive. It's also the first Indy without a hat that they sculpted, and the, uh, the likeness is one of the best Harrison Ford likenesses I've seen. And even Han Solo is elusive. But even better, there is a Donovan figure who's a pretty dull figure. He's wearing kind of the safari jacket that he's wearing at the end of the film. However, if uh, you want to use the alternate head, and this is all I've ever used, is you have the Chose Poorly Donovan, which is holding the ornate chalice and is a total zombified head. <laughs> Does the uh, indie come with a grail? No. So it comes with the diary, but not a indie, grail. Indie comes with the diary um, and the wrapped diary. So I'm assuming uh, they haven't, I think they've announced it, but they haven't shown it. My guess is that that will probably come with uh, an Indiana Jones Last Crusade uh, version or a Henry Jones Sr. version. 
Mm. Oh, Henry Jones Sr. will have to come with the the briefcase and the umbrella. So it's possible that we might get Indy, who will be mostly reused except for the tie. Oh, and that uh, and these are just becoming available now. You can find the Target. I got them from Hasbro, but they arrived two days ago. So we're we're right on the precipice. Uh, and that leads me to another question. I've had this conversation with many people about this film, and I'm I don't know if we brought it up before, but uh, I want to ask each one of you: Why do you think Indiana Jones wears a tie in this movie? I, I will offer my idea. I mean, because I know that Harrison no Ford is, does. Yeah. Harrison Ford is very much about input into the character and he always wants to distinguish them. I'm like, okay. I remember when he was, uh, when he signed up to do Blade Runner, Deckard was originally supposed to wear a fedora in Blade Runner because Blade Runner was a, a, a detective, more detective story. He was supposed to be more of a Sam Spade type. Uh, he said, no, we're not, I'm not going to do that because our Indiana Jones already does that. I'm going to wear, um, I'm going to cut my hair. He's the one who came up with the idea of the, the short haircut. My, uh, for uh, Last Crusade, I can easily see Harrison Ford saying, you know what, I want to give him, give him a tie. Or, or another thing could be, it, this could have been a Spielberg input because uh, I swear there's some scenes, again, the boat chase going through the catacombs. I saw Bond. I kept seeing Bond, uh, again, from Russia with Love and some other films. I, I swear it seemed like I could see Ford in, uh, uh, Ford instead of Connery in certain shots where he was essentially saying, this is Bond's son. We're even making him look like James Bond in some of these action sequences. So then, of course, when he puts the... The, the the jacket and the fedora back on you got to keep the tie on which quite frankly makes that my favorite of all the indie outfits the fedora the jacket the shirt and the tie that one's and i'm happy to see they're bringing it back too for dial of destiny dave am i wrong no i think you're right about the bond influence my my theory was that he wears it to look more um uh, professional in front of his dad to try to impress his dad a little bit more. Um, there's still that obviously that this, we talked about this, the movie's a big part of the, that father son relationship and sort of getting the approval of his father. So um, that could tie into it. No pun intended. I think visually it just looks really cool. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not just any tie. It's like they went with a straight jet black skinny tie to go up against that uh, black leather jacket and dark, dark brown fedora. Um, I think visually and in his shirt seems a little more um, like a pale gray. It's a little bit different than I think what it's hard to say exactly what he's. Uh, I think it, I just remember his shirt color being lighter. I'm used to seeing it just soiled. Um, as, as someone who frequents many indie cosplay boards, yes, the shirt goes through different changes through each film, and it has he has more of a military khaki look in this one, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, the but uh, yeah, there are little slight differences between the shirts and the pants, too. The pants are always different, right? And there's something into being uh, it's like this is 1938. Yeah. So we're right on the cusp of uh, 
World War Two. There might be something. There might be something to that there. Um, visually, it's different. And visually, it's a nice contrast with Henry, who Henry keeps wearing the bow tie. Yes. And yeah. Indy, Indy does his initial lecture in the movie in a bow tie. He wears a three-piece uh, suit uh, with a red bow tie. But he switches to the uh, the straight tie for the rest of the movie. So there's a bit of a contrast there with the more continuously, agonizingly professorial Henry uh, versus the more slightly laid-back uh, Indy. Oh, John has, uh, John has the vi visual evidence here. You're muted, John. So John, of course, is bringing out one of his sideshow uh, figures, which I am incredibly jealous of here. <laughs> um, John, you're muted. John's telling us wonderful things that we're not getting because of the muting. It's like, I know his description is just is just great because what he's pointing at is is really cool. So this is several customs put together. And I'll put this on the Facebook page for people that are listening to this in audio. But um, around the time of Crystal Skull, as we've mentioned many times, there was a lot of Indiana Jones product that had never been made before. So Sideshow made the Indiana Jones Senior and the uh, standard Indiana Jones. I bought pretty much every version they did. There were several Raiders. So this was an extra Raiders I had, which Metacom actually made. And um, when you mentioned the tie, I had to go on eBay and find the skinny black tie. To complete this the motorcycle is actually 21st century toys it's just a period accurate motorcycle they were a company that did you know world war ii figures almost like the um if you remember that very depressing steve carell movie <laughs> welcome to marvel where he's he's posing figures it's like the companies that make those figures actually happen to make this exact model and somebody had customized it with uh with dust paint which i thought was perfect and also, I bought this and put this together in 2007, and I have never dusted it. <laughs> so it's it's just over the years, it's become more and more and more accurate. It's actually as old as my son at this point. Uh, the other detail, and this is just me showing off, is Henry is holding a Grail diary, which I bought on eBay, where every page has been filled out. So somebody went somebody went to the point of drawing the entire Grail diary in one sixth scale. That's impressive. So this, yeah, this now rests in the glass detolfs downstairs. This but, is, I assume, this is Indy and Henry on the way to the airport having retrieved yes. the, the Grail Diary. Yes, this is, yeah. Well, they haven't retrieved the Grail Diary yet in the, in the film. I'm just, right. I'm cheating because I have one. But this is, <laughs> this is when they decide to go to Berlin. Right. The, uh, the new Indy toys right now, there's a new... The new they call Worlds of Adventure toys. It's um, uh, their toys really aimed towards younger, younger kids. Um, uh, and uh, they came out with an Indy on a motorcycle with a sidecar, uh, but there is no Henry Jones. I bought that particular toy in the hopes that they decide to come out with a scaled Henry Jones to go in the sidecar there. Yeah, I never forgave them for the uh, King of the Crystal Skull line when they did the three and three quarter figures, the, the standard Star Wars size. They made the motorcycle and then you could tell they flinched at the wrong moment because they just put a German soldier on it and it had a hole for a sidecar that they never made. You know, 
Yeah, it's, it's such an iconic moment. It's probably the most iconic look. I remember I remember Rolling Stone actually at the time of like the big movies of 89 and there were two pictures. There was a picture of Michael Keaton in the bat suit and there was that exact picture of the two of them on the motorcycle and li- and literally the blurb was just Sean Connery will be in the next Indiana Jones. That's um, a great I, I, sequence. That's neat, and that scene was a reshoot. Really? Uh, ri- originally, they don't go on the boat; they get on the the motorcycle and they go away. And then Spielberg realized that they needed an action beat there; it was starting to slow down. So that's all shot on Skywalker Ranch. Hmm. What, what about the boat? That's what about the boat? <laughs> <laughs> But that's going to also set off a whole back and forth between Indy and his father as things go, you know. Yeah. What well, did to you re- do? I can't to reinforce it. <laughs> yes. There's a great there's a great reinforcing of the chivalry theme when they actually do a joust. Yep. Mm-hmm. The 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 literal moment of of a of a joust with a uh, with with another motorcyclist. Um Yeah, I I I I I do kind of love that that theme of the, the of like this like good knights and evil knights or or something like that. It's 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 something that has a bit of an appeal um, of this this um, crusade is a very loaded term. Um, in nineteen eighty nine, when this movie came out, crusade this is a before a lot of the more modern more research scholarship into the crusades happened so the the term has taken on different meaning with also uh various american wars in the middle east um on top of that um i forget when john riley smith wrote his started writing his big books on the crusades um and we didn't have as as many Arabic sources, source as much Arabic source in translation as we have now. So we we get a lot more of the other side. Um, but for 1989, the, the idea of a crusade seemed undoubtedly something positive, um, and and framing that in a positive sense as as um, as crusades, and also it's mockering of fascism as well. Because the the fascist, particularly, I think about Franco in Spain, considered himself to be uh, a knight errant crusader, things like that, and trying to associate themselves with that with that legacy. And and here Spielberg is laying it all out and said, "No, you're full of shit. You are not crusaders. Indy is the crusader. He is the true knight. And I will drop a literal knight of the first crusade into this movie to tell him that he's chosen poorly." Uh, and that India has chosen. And I'll do that an hour after Indy meets Hitler. Right. An Which hour after him <laughs> in this movie. Right. <laughs> in case you thought Spielberg was big on subtlety. <laughs> it's a Mel Brooks level of Nazism in this. <laughs> I mean, literally, literally, we get the Nazis. I hate these guys. Yeah. It's, and that's, and that's another thing I, I felt about the course correction, which I mentioned in the beginning of, you know, um, Lucas wanted to do, you know, a, a, a major Jewish relic for the first film, a Hindu relic for the second, and then a Christian relic for the third. But after Temple of Doom was, you know, the the oddity, it really is out of the others. It was like, let's let's fight the Nazis again. You know, let's let's have the MacGuffins. Let's have the love interest. Let's have. Let's have these jokes. Let's have these set pieces. Let's trade the truck for a tank. 
you know, and uh, certainly uh, Nazis are part of that because even even with the way he says Nazis, I hate these guys. He's reminding the audience is like, remember the first film? We're going to do a lot of that again. And uh, we get an interesting new dynamic the, with the the love interest, um, Elsa, who is introduced first kind of as an equal to Indy. She's in supposedly another, you know, historian and, uh, you know, archaeologist in her own right. But the twist being that she will ultimately betray him. Mind you, Elsa isn't, I mean, yes, she works with the Nazis, but she doesn't consider herself to be a Nazi. Um, She's a Nazi. Yeah, I guess. You know, well, she's a Nazi. Look at the way she dresses at the end. (laughs) (laughs) She was hanging out with the wrong crowd, okay? She was hanging out, you know, with... with... She was only following orders, is that... That's what you're saying? (laughs) 38, I think we may be at or near post-Anschluss at this moment. So at, at the moment that Captain Von Trapp has already gone over the mountains, she's the one who stayed behind. Yeah. All right. There we go. Well, so um, we have the um, the the whole bit with with again a new take on the romantic interest, which then by the time Kingdom of the Crystal Skull comes around, they have to reset it and well then bring back Marion. You know, we're already talking about Crystal Skull with this because again, I'm going to hammer this on the next show when we talk about Crystal Skull. There is so much that that the previous indie movies do that happened just as much in Crystal Skull. People bitch about it there, but they don't bitch about it here. It's not about ideas. It's about execution. I guess, but last crusade, I mean, again, uh, Indy's on a boat that's getting chopped up by a, a giant propeller on a, on a, on a, on an ocean liner and the thing doesn't sink from the get go. You know, well, there's a plane that hits a tunnel, loses both its wings <laughs> and manages, manages to skin past the car. There's enough room in that tunnel. There's not enough room in the tunnel for the plane and the wings, but there's a room for the fuselage and another car. <laughs> and it's skidding faster than the car at full drive. Which, by the way, has been commemorated in the latest Lego set. You can buy the uh, the Indiana Jones uh, Last Crusade Lego set with uh, the Indy and Henry in the car that they drove off in, and then you have the germ the plane and the little German pilot that goes in said plane. Uh, I I think uh, was with Crystal Skull. They came out with the motorcycle and. Um, and, yeah, and, and did the, I wish. Yeah, Lego, I, like most companies, did a line in 2008 on all the films to build up Crystal Skull. Then everything went dormant. Lego is now, whereas Hasbro is going back and doing this new scale that they didn't do in 2008. Lego is redoing sets they've done before with more detail, and that's torturing me because I have the old sets, but they're it. But I, I believe I have all the old sets complete. But by complete, I mean I have a bin of gray bricks and a book. <laughs> uh, I have the well. It's called the Tomb Escape. I forget, but it's actually the Well of the Souls Lego set. I bought that one. I'm tempted. That was that one. I'm tempted to buy that uh, that plane and car set with Henry Jones Senior and and Indy. 
just in case I can track down a sidecar, a Lego, you know, motorcycle and sidecar. Uh, you know, I do have the sidecar from that original set. Yeah. I, I'm tempted to buy that jungle jungle set with the rolling boulder. The boulder, yeah. That that looks just beautifully sophisticated. But in my head, I'm like, six months later, it's a lar slightly larger pile of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's beyond me how you could do that. I would that would drive me nuts. No, it did. Well, well, they're in they're in the kids' rooms because I'm like, here, you have the Legos. And then just every few months, I think, man, I got the whole Simpsons house in there. <laughs> I, got my, I have a Death Star in there. Do you have the instructions on how to put those babies together? Yeah, I kept most of the books. Yeah. But I, I tried to rebuild one, and because there's so many bricks from so many sets, it's hours to find the right piece. Right. So technically, you could do it. You know, technically, you could count all the grains of sand on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> You use a preacher reference. Uh, real quick, a uh, before we get too far uh, the, the, to the end, a from uh, Joe, Ash Williams, Joe Biden, um, future drink, muted barking dogs, because both Dave and I have been dealing with our dogs barking in the background, <laughs> having to mute ourselves. Uh, Tom, if you want to come up with the muted barking dogs, we can uh, feature that. Uh, I may, I may have to do the name for the. Uh, that might have to be the name for Dial of Destiny, because um, I, I already have a vague idea of what I'm. Oh, I'm going to be in the woodwork on this Crystal Skull one. I've, I've got ideas, and <laughs> I may, ha I may have gone. Uh, there, 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 there may. There may be Amazon purchases in order to make this happen, uh, but I may be deep in the weeds. I'm Chris. I just horrible ideas. <laughs> just, just, um, just, uh, just trying to make clear pebble ice. Oh boy, <laughs> just, just, I, I just, this is. I may be deep in the weeds on that one. How about just the crystal skull shaped ice cubes? Just you know, make it easy on yourself there. How about just crystal head vodka? <laughs> that on ice. And make Dan Aykroyd the rest of the week off. No, it's 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 gotta be it's gotta be. I, I have an idea for doing a clarified Peruvian Pisco sour and then serve it on making a bunch of clear ice. Uh, that is ice with no bubbles in it, crushing it in a Lewis bag so this way. Uh, so this way I have pebble ice, like for tiki ice, and then clarifying the cocktail, adding a small amount of blue food coloring to it, and then pouring it over pebble, this clear pebble ice in a skull shaped glass. I've got those. I have skull shaped glasses. So, yeah, I'm there at yeah. least. I have, of all the things you said. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'm not gonna have to track down. <laughs> this this is called getting it getting into the weeds. <laughs> I've wandered, weeds. I've wandered off. I've wandered off the path. Uh. Oh, anyway, uh, I, I you know there there what are what are the things about Last Crusade that I really enjoyed? I mean, because there's very little that I don't enjoy. Um, even over the years, I've come to terms with. Indies sort of, and you talked about this before, John, that the, the, the indie movies really aren't so much a trilogy because there's no real character arc going on that's even closed off. Because by the time you get to Last Crusade, even though 
if this is a true sequel, um, Temple of Doom was a prequel. We somehow Indy, when he's 13, says it's it belongs in a museum. But by 1935, he's Mr. Fortune and Glory. And then by 1938, he's back to it belongs in a museum. So along the way, his motivations just keep seeming to change. Like, is that is that a natural progression of a character or is this just inconsistency on the part of writers? Inconsistency. I think <laughs> It is like we retcon. Oh, he was younger then, and he was in a darker place. And it's like you can you can retcon it pretty easily, but it's like, um, but really, what is Indy's motivation? You know, like why, especially now that we're in this point where you know museums are, are have been seen lately as as thieves and destroyers of culture. Like, what is what is Indy's noble purpose? By it belongs in a museum, you know. And uh, is Fortune Glory him just selling things to a museum? Well, that, that, I'm sorry. That's that was one of the things that I got. I got from um, the beginning of Last Crusade, where you finally go, "Oh, wait a minute! How is it that? How does Indy really make a living doing what he's doing? Oh, yeah. Every time he ret retrieves something, he gets an honorarium. You know, yeah. he gets he gets he gets a nice fat check. He doesn't quit his day job. And one of my favorite moments, we haven't touched on this, but he's terrible at his day job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, it's all the same beautiful women for Raiders, but they're all pissed off because it's the end of the semester. The end of the semester, he's supposed to be meeting with students and grading papers and answering phone calls. But he decides, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to jump out the window. Yeah, he goes out the window. What does he do? He gets kidnapped at that point. And then after he gets kidnapped, Goes on another trip. The dude just came back from a trip. His TA is so swamped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, come on, man. And then, of course, the, you'll have that whole little speech that Indy gives in the beginning about how 80 or is it 90% of archaeology takes place in the library, mm. you know. Um, there are no maps to hidden treasure in X, never, ever. Marks the spot, and yet and he's contradicted. And me. yes, it's it does mark the spot when it's yeah. in a library, right? <laughs> so everybody wins. So every, every, it was, he did not technically contradict himself. Well, uh, as far as what the what his purpose is in this movie, um, it, it is to go on a grow quest. It is to to, to well, not even he says he says to Kazim, he's like, I'm I'm not after the glory of the Grail. I'm after I'm trying to find my no, father. No, he's that's the 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 way it is in the beginning, and it's it is it is kind of a meeting in the middle because the, his father is all about the quest, the quest yeah. at any cost. And well, it's all about keeping it out of the hands of the Nazis. It's right. not about keeping getting it, it for themselves, right? Which is and, why they're able to give it up, and Elsa is, is not. Yeah, and. He, he does go and and appreciating he, he he relies on the work that his father did for years and years and years and years uh, the, the diary is is, is a, a more of a symbol of a kind of accumulated knowledge and an appreciation for an accumulated knowledge because he's reading the diary for all the 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 little hints the penitent man will pass he will pass in the name of the word uh, a leap from the lion's mouth 
as he's going through this final challenge. It's this accumulated knowledge, particularly in a movie, we have a literal book burning. And as one thing I thought of earlier, if we want it, we, when we see the James Bond erupt out of Sean Connery, who's been playing this character actor, this whole movie. And then all of a sudden in the tank, we get full bond when he, when he, he's getting slapped by that general and then, and then it's like, it tells me that goose stepping morons like yourself should try reading books instead of burning them. And it's like, fuck, that's good. Like it's, it's like right there. It's like, it's like, he's still got his fastball. It's like perfect. Oh, he had a look that could kill. Oh, he definitely had a look that could kill. Speaking of diary, um, I, I meant to show this one off too. The um, Grail Diary, which uh, there are many replicas out there, but um, I got this one off of Amazon. Not the best. I'll be I'll be honest. The cover is a little too light for my for my taste, but um, it comes with a ton of uh, a ton of inserts, and uh, the only thing it does not have is the tablet rubbing. Some folks out there make some really good Grail Diary replicas, so. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting my own uh, Dial of Destiny when that baby hits. Anyone out there could got a line on a, on a decent Shankara stone? And, and a, I've a, seen some on Etsy that light up. Yeah, the uh, the ones that Disney offers, uh, they no longer offer on Shop Disney. They offer at the stores. At you have to be at the parks, and uh, but they are the ones that just light up. They don't have the the lines on them, mm. so. That's it. But Tom, to your point, yeah. Uh, Sean Connery, yeah, brought it back. That look. It's like, yikes. Uh, You call this archaeology? (laughs) (laughs) It's like the movie sends up everything. I mean, it recognizes that, you know what? Indy is not the best archaeologist. And that's not where really archaeology is. But hey, it's an action movie. And that's that's the background. I, one of the things that I was watching now, watching it again as 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 an adult um, who who does have who has a master's degree in history, when he turns over the casket and the yeah. body just tumbles out, I was like, oh, just the pain of all of that DNA evidence, and you could find evidence and like the the teeth for like what the night's diet was and maybe there's some remnants of the stomach contents it's like like modern archaeologists could do so much with that one corpse like and there's a full set of intact pristine 12th century chainmail that's just there like there's just so much stuff like indy desecrates a guy's body to make a torch out of his femur you know i mean come on that's also an accessory with the action figure. All right. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, we get the great we get the great Raiders reference in that scene too. Uh, that that was my one bit that I I do get I do tend tend to get a tad annoyed because if you think that Last Crusade is the last of indie movies, yes, making a callback to Raiders fine, but there will be an, another callback to Raiders in Crystal Skull. And how much you want to bet there's going to be another callback to Raiders and Dial of Destiny? Probably be a callback to all four of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear this one. I hear Dial of Destiny has callbacks to all, all the films. 
Uh, Tom Feaster, who was our show on the very first Top Men, chimes in by saying, Last Crusade was the worst thing that happened to Indiana Jones. <laughs> I wonder why, Tom. Tell us why, please. And if, of course, if you have I'm comments. Book, Tim. <laughs> yeah. I try to get Tom. Tom's been busy with uh, busy with deadlines. That's what happens when you're an Eisner nominated uh, comic book creator. Um, but uh, uh, the, the the whole thing with uh, indie, yeah, there 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 are. We said at the top of the 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 show that you know, Dave, you said that this movie is probably like most universally liked. Actually, not really. There are I know a fair number of Indiana Jones fans who kind of are don't like this one because it leans too heavily into the comedy. No, I didn't say it was the most universally liked. I said it's the last one that was probably most, yeah, universally compared liked. to Crystal Skull. But yeah, or, or even Temple of Doom. Yeah, even Temple yeah. of Doom still has a lot of you know, you know, we had some we have someone on this very show who did nothing but crap on Temple of Doom <laughs> whenever I let him talk on the mic. And I don't know if I should that I'm my mute. <laughs> So, so yeah, so uh, this one, there are some folks who aren't crazy about uh, Last Crusade, but I think every indie movie, they're all different. I mean, they really are. They can't, you can't, you're never going to recapture what Raiders was. And then even so, indie is not as fully developed a character in Raiders as he is in, in the later films. I mean, you can tell Harrison Ford gets more and more comfortable in the skin of that character with each successive film. And he likes, I think the reason he loved Indy so much more than, um, than, um, than Han Solo is because he was able to bring more layers to Indy than he was able to bring to Han Solo. Oh, here we go. And I know, I, I think that Tom, I know where you're coming from on this one. Uh, Last Crusade sacrifices long established characters for dumb jokes. Um, uh, yeah, Marcus. Marcus being turned kind of uh, made into kind of a, a doddering old man, you know? What does he say at the beginning of Raiders uh, when he talks to Indy about going after the Ark? He goes, ah, if I, if I were younger, I'd go after it myself. You know, you want to believe that Marcus was, you know, back in his day, someone like Indy who went after these types of relics. But in the end, it's just Marcus, you know, blowing smoke. There's no way he, he would ever go after the, the Ark because he could. He doesn't have the level of skill that Indy has. And Sala, you know, what's Sala there for? Kind of like to, to get Marcus, lose Marcus, then get supplies, lose supplies, steal some, you know, steal some camels, make a couple jokes, you know, just keep setting up different things. Um, that's why um, there are a, a fair amount of indie fans who they're not fans of Last Crusade just because of that. Lean too much into the comedy. I still love Marcus asking anyone if anyone can speak ancient Greek. <laughs> it was like counterpoint. Marcus asking if anyone speaks ancient Greek is just hilarious, especially where he is asking if someone speaks. Greek is just outstanding. Uh, Tom Tom should be on the show because he's chiming in again. Andy wouldn't surround himself with morons and fools. Lies are on the line. Well, 
Uh, Anyone ever worked in an academic environment? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You don't go to war with the army you want. You go with the war with the army you have. (laughs) Uh, Admittedly, Short Round would have been of much more effective assistance in this movie than than Marcus, the way Marcus is portrayed. Yeah, that is true. And I will say that was the one thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But as you get, as the movie went, he did have the great, you know, again, also Denholm Elliott, totally unappreciated for his comedic chops. He was just, he was hilarious. He was just, just hilarious. Uh, we're going up on the ha- uh, hour and a half mark. Uh, I feel like I've been dominating the conversation up to here. Any other thoughts before we go into the home stretch? Dave? Um, I was going to say, you know, to Tom's point about how you see that flash of Co- Bond come out of Connery. Um, he had only last played Bond six years prior to this and never seen ever again. So he's not that far removed from um his his the end of his time is bond if you consider that a bond movie which i do um and he's also didn't we discuss this elliot in real life isn't connery wasn't he only like 12 years older than Ford, yes yeah. yeah i'll tell you the only thing that keeps never say never again from being an actual a real bond film is the music yeah the music's terrible the music and is you terrible need, you need the gun barrel at the beginning that's yeah that's the indicator of, of a bond movie and just um, really the Bond type score, like the John Barry score, you know, the themes yeah. going through. They um, they uh they try they courted John Barry to do the the score to that film, but he turned it down out of loyalty to to Eon, to Cubby Broccoli and and uh the the official Bond series. So um I I admire his his uh loyalty, but it's also hard not to think about how much better that movie would have been with a real bond sounding score to it. I mean, I liked it. It's it's, I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. It's a really cool looking film. And yeah, Sean Connery looks like a badass in it. You know, one, that, that scene of him in the black tuxedo on the black motorcycle, every, yeah. that's badass. That's of course, Irving Kirshner who mm-hmm. direct empire strikes back. Probably yeah. one of the most visually gifted of the, the bond. If you want to call him a bond director, even though this isn't, you know, official. Well, at least up until that point. And then you get into like the, the Daniel Craig era where they're yeah, yeah. You know, getting Sam Mendez and yeah, those yeah. guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. John. Um no, I, I think I think I've covered it. As, as I said, this is uh a fun movie. It's uh got a it's got nothing wrong with it. But uh, it it's, leans very heavily into my flawed indie sequel theory. Is that Raiders is such a perfect balance of all all the different genres that to top it, each one of them leaned a little too hard into a genre. When we talk about Tumble of Doom, it was too much horror. This is too much comedy. But but people love comedy, so it makes it just more lovable. And of course, the Crystal Skull will be too much sci-fi and. I don't know what Tyler Destiny will be too much, but it'll be maybe it'll be too much screen time. <laughs> uh, too much time travel. Oh, uh, real quick, Tom chimes in. What when did the Rock come out? Uh, when we had we saw ninety six, I think. I think it was the year after Goldeneye. Yep, 
yeah that's that's canonically a bond movie in my head as well <laughs> so i mean wait, but I this was the idea of a bond movie with nicholas cage in it i know the timing is off but i just have a problem the fact that the rock doesn't star the rock <laughs> <laughs> you know to me the rock will always be don morocco but it's like naming an action movie robert downey jr <laughs> Or RDJ. I mean, they already have an RRR. You know they're going to come out. They can do that. Is it a dog movie? <laughs> John can't hear me yelling at him. No, Tom. No, John can. cannot hear you. Sorry. I want to. <laughs> well, what are you doing for Crystal Skull, Tom? <laughs> Well, when we come back, when we come back for Christmas go, we will be rejoined uh, by our good friend John Singh, who was a publicist for Lucasfilm at the time and had the unenviable task of putting together the PR blitz for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is way different right now than uh, Dial of Destiny. You can see there's a big difference between how the two are being prom were promoted to how the first one is being promoted. Um, and we'll, 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 we'll chew on that when we get to it. All right. Uh, final thoughts before we leave. Um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Tell us what you didn't get in uh, while we were talking. Tom, I know you've always got something that you forget to put in, get in. Yes. So, um, <laughs> so um something that I, I i i don't think we necessarily talked about um and we we didn't necessarily talk about is we didn't talk about the night um how i don't know how he chose wisely he chose poorly who how that kind of wound up in the the kind of popular discourse now 30 years after the movie came out um but that whole last sequence uh, is if we talk about horror, there's the, that decomposing face. Like I wasn't able to watch that as a kid. Like I would, yes, exactly that. That is giving me, I didn't even see that face until I was in like my thirties because I would always turn away from the, from the screen every time it came on. But just, I, I knew what it was. Um, it was, that was like scary. That was like a last, uh, a minute uh, thing. And, um, there's that little detail where Indy gets like 14 seconds with the night just to have a little conversation. And he's like, he's in a hurry. He's like trying to figure out these things. And the night is trying to literally pass the sword onto him as a recognition of Indiana Jones as seemingly like a successor or something like that. There's, there's something kind of very sweet in that moment. Um, uh, of, of, of not quite torch passing. And then the, the going through the, the sequences of all the different cups and things like that. And I was like, well, there's the, the that little reminder, there's the cup of the carpenter. Uh, and I, one thing I always noticed over the years, even though the outside is very burnished, the inside is bright, brilliant brass. Yep, exactly that. As the interior is, is bright and brilliant. There's some theological implications to that. Um, but that's just a, a very well written sequence. The little nod, the little glance sideways from Elsa to Indy 
where you wonder, is she deliberately giving him the wrong chalice? Yeah. You know, definitely. She you knew. Know. Yeah. That's why she said it, that it would not be made of gold. Right. There's you're, that. You're, you're talking Tom, about the night actually in that there's a bit that's touched on in the sequel that dark horse will do the comic book sequel, Indiana Jones and the spear of destiny, which uh, reunites Indy and Henry Jones. Um, uh, and uh, as it take, picks up right at the end of Last Crusade and in, in that scene when they're riding off into the sunset and Henry Jones Sr. says, I should have, he's, he's thinking, I should have stayed behind to be the Grail Knight. Like he thought his entire quest was supposed to lead him to there to be the next guardian of the Grail, but he doesn't. He, he leaves because um, he gives up that, he gives up that particular obsession now uh, because why? He's, he's reunited with his son. There's that detail in the, the we didn't discuss the spear of Longinus, um, because that that's also part of the first crusade. Is supposedly the knights of the first crusade, while they were besieged at the city of Antioch, um, supposedly when they were starving on the brink of collapse, some knight had a had a vision that he knew where the spear of destiny was supposedly buried somewhere around and so the, he wanders around oh i think it's here and they ha he has all the the other knights start digging this hole in the ground and they're not finding anything and then he hops in finally and starts digging this hole and they pulls out this old spearhead which is like it's like come on like this site has been occupied for thousands of years like you could find a spearhead there and it's like here it is it's the spear of destiny and they are inspired to go out and win the battle or something like that so the crusade can go on and it's just like and there's like mockery when the byzantines are reading this discussion and from constantinople's like this is ridiculous there's no way that idiot found the actual spear of destiny the real spear of destiny is in the church of the holy wisdom here in constantinople this is ridiculous Let's, so it's like we clearly have the real one so and apparently that's actually what indy is going after in the beginning of dial of destiny so starts with the dial of the spear of destiny and the dial of destiny. There's like eight spears of destiny out right. there. Just how like if you like took all the pieces of the true cross and put them together, it would be like the, it would fill an entire room. Would but would it would it bring Jesus back? Is that what you need to do to bring Jesus back? No, it says you, you do you do not tell the you do not tell Jesus what to do. <laughs> the Jesus. Do not tell the Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You 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 don't fuck with the Jesus. Oh man. Um, it, would, it would be funny. It would be hilarious to me on some level. Some of these idiots tried to bring Jesus back and he actually shows up and it's like, the fuck is your problem? It's like it just it's like no, I'll I'll do it in my own time, assholes. <laughs> I, I I think that's biblically correct. Yes, that is yeah. theologically accurate. All right. Uh, well, and Tom Feaster. Never heard of Crystal Skull. That's fine. We're gonna, we won't. We won't have him on that show. Like, <laughs> all right. Well, I've had fun with this uh, again. Uh, right now, it's pretty much getting ready. You know. Uh, for the last indie movie to come out, which uh, by now, um, if I look at the calendar, by the time uh, you all see this, uh, it's going to be pretty, a month from today, uh, about 30 days. 
uh, once this uh, audio podcast goes up on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, it'll be about you know, just under 30 days. And uh, we're going to see what the, the future holds for Indiana Jones. Uh, when we And on the 31st of May, all the Indiana Jones movies, as well as the entirety of the Young Indiana Jones Adventures, will be made available on Disney+. So you know what that means, guys. Yes, the Young Indiana Jones Adventures will be the topic of a future Top Men episode. So we will be talking about it, especially since it is referenced in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, hence making it canon. So I'm going to have to go with that. What do you think about that, John? I'm not watching all of them again. Wait, don't you have them all on, on, on DVD? I bought the DVDs when Crystal Skull came out, and I don't think I ever finished them. <laughs> They're very slow. They are quite slow. Ah, but uh, It also uh, took us two months to get to Last Crusade. That's true. Else, but uh, We're not going to talk about all the episodes. I mean, we'll just talk about the, show, the series in general. But one fun thing, if you have not seen them, when it comes, uh, when it when it's available on uh, Disney+, Plus. You will want to see Indiana Jones and the young Indiana Jones and the Phantom Train of Doom, which co-stars Paul Freeman, the lock from Raiders, who goes from being Indy's enemy in Raiders of the Lost Ark to actually playing a mentor to young Indiana Jones in this particular episode. He's the one. Before you watch that, you're going to want to watch Indiana Jones and the Birth of the Blues, which is the only episode to feature Harrison Ford. Well, yeah. Who is wearing his fugitive beard as Indiana Jones for the whole, because he couldn't shave during the shoot. I think, and they filmed that particular sequence, like outside his house over in Jackson Hole. Like he, they just went, they went there and they decided, okay, it, let's uh, let's do a whole bit. They did. They shot it like in a in a weekend, something like yeah, that. Yeah, ratings weren't good. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone it wanted Raiders of the Lost Ark, Deep Space Nine kind of thing. Yeah, they wanted they wanted action adventure, and again, Lucas wanted to create a, an, an educational show. But he essentially turned Indy into Forrest Gump, where Indiana Jones is like at every freaking historical event of the you know of the 20th century. So, all right. With that, I will uh, bid the all adieu our our friends, our our viewers here on uh, the Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch pages. Before we go, uh, tell us, gentlemen, where we can find you on the socials, Dave. I am on Instagram at Pinto underscore Noir. Why do we want to follow you? Uh, I share lots of photos of my adorable goblin of a dog. Uh-huh, he is an adorable this weekend. Such so nice this weekend. My wife and I spent a lot of time hanging out on our balcony. And uh, we were wary of how he would react to being out there because, you know, we're only on the second floor. So even if he jumped, he probably wouldn't do too much damage to himself. But, um, no, he knows his, his boundaries and limits. So he enjoyed just being up there and looking at every bike and car and person that walked by. So... It was a perfect weekend to do that. That's great. Tom. 
you can find me at uh, REVU Cocktails on the Instagram app where I share photos and recipes of all the drinks for the Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast and for the MCU review, including uh, also any bonus uh, classic or uh, made up cocktails that I decide to make uh, in the interim. Uh, next up, we're going to be, I've got uh, plans and ideas coming up for the next MCU review for Spider-Man Far From Home. So I look forward to sharing that with everyone. That should be the next one. John. Uh, if you are not already listening to this as an audio podcast of Caffeinated Comics, you can listen to Caffeinated Comics every week, anywhere you get podcasts. And uh, fortunately, Memorial Month is over on Caffeinated Comics. I am no longer rerunning episodes of friends who have passed away. So uh, all the three of you have to stay alive. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we'll be covering all the news that's fit to geek. Uh, the other good news is I finally saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So there will be no more. I wanted to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but here's an old episode from somebody who suddenly passed away. John, I do want to say a really sincerest condolences to you. I know this has been a hard few weeks for you. Well, I appreciate it. And honestly, the podcast has been uh, a real help, even for myself, re-listening to uh, both Ron Zabrocki, who was uh, a guest on the show, and Bill Monroe, who was such a big part of Caffeinated Comics. And uh, we really should have had him on Top Men. He was way behind on the MCU review, but he would have had a lot to say about Indiana Jones. And also, and it was also your birthday. Your birthday. It was, uh, after all that. <laughs> So, so I bought I bought myself uh, the Indiana Jones retro set. That's what I did. <laughs> oh, there you go. And I know you have one for me, but this uh, this card's all jacked up. All right. <laughs> so. all right. Well, and um, I am Elliot Serrano uh, at on all the socials with two L's, two T's, and two R's. As John said, you can catch us on the MCU Review Facebook page. Top Man and Indiana Jones podcast page. You can find me on uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, though I don't. Uh, Twitter has become a right-wing uh, propaganda platform, so I am I deleted the app off my phone. There's really no point in being there anymore. Uh, so, But everywhere else, you can find me. You can find us. Uh, when we come back next time, yes, we will be talking about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Or you'll find us over on the MCU Review page where we will be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, let's we want to get lighten things up. This has been a this has been a last a rough uh, few weeks, so um, let's lighten it up. Hope for a much better summer ahead. So for myself, for Tom, Dave, and John, thank you all for watching us here on Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for viewing. Please like us, share, subscribe, tell your friends about us, pass us along, listen to us on the Radio Mistress Podcast Network, and we will see you again soon.